Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Amen. You guys, this week marks five years since I first got up on this stage and uh, preached here at FBC. Um, For some of you, you're like, wow, it feels like it's been 20. Um, But um, it's been a really cool journey over these past five years with you guys. And I just want to say thank you so much for your patience as I've been continuing to try to learn how to do this and what it looks like and grow in my ability to do that. I've received a lot of feedback over the years, positive and negative, that's helped me continue to grow. And like I said, wanted to thank you guys for being part of that journey with me. Five years ago, we were doing this uh, series called Frozen when I started. So the first sermon I ever preached here at FPC, if you're here, was called Do You Want to Build a Snowman? Um, And uh, yeah, so anyways, here we are five years later. I've learned a lot over the years, still trying to learn. Um, Even in this past month, I've learned quite a bit. And here's what I mean. I don't want to talk about these guys forever. This will be my last time in a while. But my last two times up here in December, I think I made it very clear through my preaching that the organization of FPC does not endorse Boney M's music, okay? But in the past, since then, I've had countless people say, oh man, since you're talking about it, we listen to it way more over Christmas. Or, you know, I introduced my husband to Boney M. They'd never heard it. And I'm just like, that is the opposite of what I was saying. So I've learned that I just say, if I want you guys to do something, I just need to say the opposite. So you know, start taking that in, into account in my preaching. But other than uh, poor music tastes, I hope your guys' Christmases were good. Um, it's been a month since I've been up here, so I want to catch up a little bit. I want to share with you guys two fun facts about my Christmas, and then we'll dive into what actually matters. Um, <clears throat> we spent our, our Christmas in Manitoba, and um, I'm not a, Talcy and I aren't big gifts people, you know, uh, around Christmas. Well, the receiving, yes, but the giving, no. So um, I don't do a lot of Christmas shopping, but I know a lot of people sometimes feel bad because they procrastinate and they do their shopping on like the 22nd, 23rd, 24th, really late. I'll let you know, I hardly did any Christmas shopping this year, but I did the bulk of mine on December 30th. So this year, if you're out feeling bad on Christmas Eve doing your Christmas shopping, you're like, oh, I'm such a failure, I procrastinated, you just compare yourself to me and you'll feel a lot better about yourself, okay? So there's that for you. This is the other thing. We spent 10 days in Manitoba. I've told you guys before, Talsi comes from this huge Mennonite family. If you know anything about Mennonites from Manitoba, their families are always huge. Like, there are just millions of them. I think when they migrated, they maybe didn't have indoor heating, so just lots of babies. But um, anyways, we were at these Christmas uh, get-togethers with all their family, and on the 29th, the Sunday, we were going to leave. We're in this little town called Treesbank, Manitoba. You've probably never heard of it. My suggestion, keep it that way. Um, but we're there, and the population of the town like quadrupled when all these freezons came together in this basement of this church to have this get-together. We went to leave, and very friendly people, so many of them, probably like 10, 15, 20 of them, lots, so many people said this same phrase to us just before we left to drive back from Manitoba to Alberta, and they said, 
travel safe. Someone said drive safe, but travel safe, travel safe, travel safe. And it made me start to wonder, after I heard it, like once or twice, like whatever, after a whole bunch of times, I was like, what's going on? So I had two, two things that popped into my mind. The first one, what do they think I'm planning on doing? Hopping into my minivan, blindfold on, pedal to metal, just like swerving all over the place, be like, this will get us home. Uh, do they look at me and just think I look that reckless? And I just, like they saw me come into the parking lot of the church earlier, I was like drifting, doing donuts, like this guy's crazy. Uh, Ryan, you need to travel safe. Like, I'm not planning on driving backwards through the ditch the entire way to Alberta. The other thing is this. Travel safe. This is a phrase they kept saying. They need to know that in this context, the word travel is a verb, and the word safe is an adjective. You can't just go putting verbs and adjectives next to each other. Who's being reckless now, okay? So hopefully some of them watch the video on YouTube and they can have a little English lesson from this sermon. So anyways, it's travel safely. That's an adverb, that's how you use English, okay? So whatever, you guys drive safely, but at least I can English. So anyways, I'm here, hope you guys had a great Christmas. Doug kicked off this series last week. This is his idea to do this uh, kind of four-week series where we, uh, we, 2020 Vision, where we look at some attributes of God, we see God a little bit more clearly, and we look at these four aspects of who he is and learn more about him. And maybe you're here and you're like, well, I'm not like some big theologian. I don't need to know all the things about God. I don't need to learn more about God. And I would push back on that a lot. I think the pursuit of God should be deeply emotional, but also deeply intellectual. Spirituality is this holistic combining of every aspect of a person. And I love doing a series like this where we get to talk about these attributes of God and kind of focus more on who God is and learn more about who God is. Because I would say this, the better that you know God, the better you can live for God. We talk about thinking and engaging personally with God. That doesn't just mean kind of like trying to be nice to him. And when you have a relationship with someone, whether it's your spouse or family or friends or anybody, the better you know them, the more you know about them, what makes them tick, what they like, what they don't like, who they are, the better and deeper you can have that relationship. And so I hope over these four weeks, you'll just continue to dig into understanding the character of God, doing a bit of theology. Um, It's been said that, Good theology should lead to good doxology. Doxology is this kind of fancy theological term for worship, that as we learn more about God, as we understand him more, that it should, it should position our hearts and posture our hearts more to pursue him and to worship him. So I hope that this series is helpful for that. Last week, Doug was talking about God's goodness. I mean, what a great attribute to be talking about God. I believe the God of the Bible is so abundantly good, so loving and so gracious and so generous and and, and just amazing, just entirely good. This week I get to talk about God's promises, which is a great follow-up to God's goodness. Because if God is that good, then I would argue, I would submit that we can trust that his promises are something we can lean on, that we can expect, that we can trust in. We've all had people promise us things or tell us things or lead us to believe things that they don't come through on. And that. That, that just hurts, right? They set you up to believe one thing, they maybe promise it, they just lead you, and they don't come through and it hurts. I'd suggest that all of us, I know myself for sure many times in my life, have done that to other people. And even being on that end of it isn't that pleasant. What I love about God, and I'm gonna argue this morning, is that I don't believe that that's how God exercises his promises. That out of his promises, we can actually, or out of his goodness, we can depend on his promises. I did something new this week that I've never done before in my life. 
off my radar, something kind of fun. I'm going to share it with you guys. Um, I went to 7-Eleven. As I've been thinking about uh, this topic, I went to 7-Eleven, and I, uh, I bought, my first time ever, I bought a lottery ticket, okay? And just, I'm going to pause there before the questions come in. No, I did not use my church credit card, okay? I spent my own $4 on this piece of paper, so this is the most expensive little piece of paper I've ever bought in my life. So I bought this Lotto 649 ticket, um, and it was an interesting experience. Like I said, I've never bought one, so it's pretty off my radar. I went to the counter and I said, hi, I'd like a Lotto 649 ticket. The lady looked at me and she said, how many boards would you like? And I was like, I'm thinking, I don't think she heard me. So I looked at her, I was like, Lotto 649 ticket. And then she's like, yes, how many boards would you like? I'm like, where am I, Home Depot? I'm in Lumberyard? I don't want boards, I want a Lotto 649 ticket. So then she explained to me, it gives you more chance. I'm like, what's the cheapest? I'm not gonna win, so what's the cheapest? So she's like, four bucks, you get one board. I was like, great. The reality is, I know I'm not gonna win, so it doesn't really matter. The Lotto 649 jackpot this week is an estimated $25 million. That's a lot of money, right? Estimated, to, I could upgrade that minivan to a self-driving one so people don't even have to tell me to travel safely anymore. $25 million, but here's the interesting thing about it. Estimated $25 million. Here's my question, with an estimated jackpot like that, what's the allowable margin of error? Like, how approximate are they allowed to be with that? Like, is it possible that I go in, I take my ticket and it's like, hey, I won, I want my $25 million, and they're like, no, here's $250, sorry, we're off by five zeros. You know, don't get me wrong, I'd be pretty stoked to win $250, but I'd be like, wow, that's a, that's a huge margin of error. Now, like I said, I know I'm not gonna win. The good news is, if I do win, we can stop taking the building offerings because I'll have it covered with my approximate $25 million. But the margin of error, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I'm going to assume that they're within a million or $2. So even if you win $23 million, that's pretty good. In some things, an estimate, a margin of error doesn't really matter that much. A little bit of ambiguity doesn't matter that much. I would argue with this, since you're probably not going to win anyways, kind of a bit of approximation doesn't really matter. It's the same thing if you were to go to someone after church and say, hey, how long does it take to drive to the McDonald's uh, on Highway 16 across town? And they said five minutes, and you drove there, and it actually took you seven minutes. I don't think you'd be calling them and being like, hey, listen, you seriously misled me. You were way off. And they're just like, well, it's an estimate. You know, you'd be like, whatever, they're two minutes off. If you went to an event and someone asked you how many people were there, and you're like, I don't know, and you take a guess and you're off by some number, they don't care. Some things in life, these estimations and kind of this margin of error starts to matter a little bit more. Plumber comes to your house, it's like your furnace is shot, you need a new one. And you say, how much is it gonna cost? If they say, well, approximately this much, but we might be way off, you'd be like, uh, you know, I kind of wouldn't mind a little bit of certainty because I don't want you guys to be off by a few zeros the other way, right? Because, uh, you know, I only won $250, not $25 million, so I can't afford this. But you don't want too much of an approximation. How, how much more so if you go to your doctor and you're like, hey, doctor, uh, do you know what's wrong with me? And they're like, ah, we have like an estimate. And here's like an estimate prescription. I don't know. It might work. It might not. But take these pills. See what happens. Or if your doctor puts you under the knife to do heart surgery, and you're like, do you know what they're doing? They're like, ah, approximately, you know? I think we go in through the leg, I don't know, we'll figure it out. That would not be kosher. How much more so when it comes to our spirituality, the most important things of life, our fundamental understanding of who God is and how that impacts our lives 
and what it looks like for us to be eternal human beings pursuing God, how much more so do approximations and estimations not work? My foundational argument this morning is that God's promises are clear, God's promises are sure. God's promises are clear, God's promises are sure. This is my foundational argument. We're going to look at some scripture and and look at what I think that means. And I think we really need to wrap our minds around this as followers of Jesus. I think we live a very approximate estimation of what God actually promises, what, what God actually offers us. And we're just kind of like, well, you know, we've read scripture and God's kind of like this. Kind of, we can't figure everything out about God, but I actually think his promises are pretty clear. I think there are several reasons why we struggle with the clarity and the surety of God's, surety is that a word? Sureness of God's, I don't know, I'll have to look it up. Someone dictionary.com it for me and let me know. But um, the sureness of God's promises. And one of the reasons I would suggest is related to how we as the modern Western church approach prayer. And I might step on toes with this this morning, but you know, I'm willing to because I, I'm pretty concerned about this. I just read this powerful book by this guy named D.A. Carson um, called Praying with Paul. D.A. Carson's like this gospel coalition guy, if you're familiar with that, but it's a great book, Praying with Paul, and he examines Paul's letters in the New Testament and what biblical prayer actually looks like and what it's about. And as you look at it and you examine it, so much of it is focused on the centrality of something we call the gospel. But what we've done in the modern Western church is we've taken prayer and we've mostly turned it into something that's based on what we want and feel and desire in the moment, more so than on what we actually need and what God has actually promised. God promises something and we move over here and say, God, this is actually what I wish you would have promised. Now, that might sound harsh, but D.A. Carson, he makes a statement. He says, so often what we pray about betrays what we say is actually important. We come together, we say that Jesus and the gospel, it's all that, but so often we're, we're so focused on, I mean, so much of what we do in small groups or churches across North America, this isn't just us or you or whatever, so much of it is just boiled down to prayer requests. Hear me out. I'm not saying prayer requests are wrong. We have daily things that we can take to God. But the bulk of what we pray about is so often our safe travels or our job or our money or our marks or our relationships or our current health that we forget that most of our prayer, I would contend, should be wrapped up in what God has actually promised, not just wishful thinking. And because we're focused on something outside of what God actually communicates and teaches to us as the central components of the gospel, the centrality of his promises, because of that, there's a lack of clarity. The lack of clarity around God's promises isn't because God isn't clear, isn't because God isn't sure, it's because we've turned it into our own self-serving idea that's based, spirituality based around our health and well-being and prosperity, that we lack clarity on God's promises. We lack a sense of, kind of a sure sense of assurance on what God actually promises. And maybe at this point you're like, I don't know, Ryan, we're going to look at a passage and hopefully... I can convince you because I believe that this is what Scripture actually teaches. I spent a while this week looking through Scripture, different things. I'm like, well, actually, not just this week, but for the past a while, where do I want to go? Where do I want to, what do I want to look at in Scripture? And there are a lot of narratives in, in Scripture that talk about different promises and, and all that and lots of different passages. And I actually ended up in a passage that probably would be low on the list of like, this would be a go-to for this type of a topic, but I think it's really powerful. It's one of my favorite passages. So we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And we're going to look at this in three sections. The first section is going to be 
about the centrality of God's promises. God's promises being clear and sure expressed through this thing called we, we call the gospel. The gospel being that even though we're sinners, Christ came, Jesus came, and he gave his life for us to offer us forgiveness and make our eternity secure. So the first section focuses on God's promises. The second section focuses on how we engage with those promises. So often when we talk about God's promises, I think we get this picture of us sitting back, reclining, while God's promises are enacted on us and we just receive. God's promises aren't just an act that he imposes on us. What they are is an invitation to something bigger than ourselves. God promises us this stuff in the gospel and then invites us. It's an invitation. It's not just like, okay, sit back. It's not a spectator sport. It's an invitation to something. So the second part will be on how we engage with these promises. And the third section talks about the results of that. If we can acknowledge the, cl- the clarity of God's promises, if we can be assured in them, and if we can engage with them, the results are incredible. So those are going to be the three sections we'll look at. I'm actually just going to read through the whole passage, and we'll go back and break it, out, break it down. So 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Peter writes, he says, His, God's, divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's actually hard and kind of daunting to like preach or talk or whatever after reading a passage that in my opinion like is so powerful that to me this is one of the bible's greatest hits i don't know if you've ever um been like a fan of a band or an artist or something and they put out or they put out an album and you're just like this is the greatest they will never be able to write as good of a record as this ever again. Or like with movies you watch it and you're like, how could the sequel, and the sequels aren't as good or whatever. Uh, so um, when I was in junior high, there's this band called Collective Soul. Anybody? Yeah, no? Yeah, okay, a couple, yeah, nice. A um, few people out there. Collective Soul, I remember they put out this self-titled album. If you guys remember, it was blue. Had December, The World I Know, Smashing Young Man, Where the River Flows Gel. Oh my goodness, this album, I was just like, this is like the greatest album ever. How could they ever top this? And the question is, they can't. They, they, they never did, and I'm assuming they're still kind of playing music um, into retirement, but um, they probably never will. I, honestly, if I was sitting there with Peter at this point, I'd be like, just stop. Like, this is, you have written the letter. It is so, this is, this is one of my favorite passages, and I, I know I'm just ranting and raving about this, but this is what I want to say. I'm going to talk for a while, hopefully some of it's helpful. My greatest encouragement, go home, take this passage, and spend some time with it. Spend some time engaging personally with God as you, as, you, as you read this passage. And if you don't have those passages in your life that you've made kind of life verses or like those things that you hold on to that really motivate you, make this one of those. This is, to, to me, one of my faves. So anyways, first section about God's promises. It says, His divine power, God's divine power has given us 
everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So what's going on here? Peter says God's divine power, his sovereignty, his complete dominion and rule, God is infinitely powerful over the whole universe. He is divine, has given us everything we need to live a godly life, to escape the evil in our lives, that we're dragged away by the corruption in the world. Here's the reality. Scripture centers on this thing called the gospel, that all of us, although we were created by a loving God, have this bent called the sinful nature where we choose rebellion against God rather than devotion to God. We choose selfishness and self-destructive behaviors rather than what's actually good for us and what draws us close to God. But Jesus Christ came and gave his life for us, even while we were still sinners, to provide grace and forgiveness. And through that, through that, all the promises of the Bible were fulfilled, that he has given us his grace, and he has, he has invited us to participate in the divine nature, and that he has given us everything we need to live a godly life. I love this. What, what does it mean? It says, he's, he's called you, um, or Sorry, through these, he's given us great and precious promises so that you may participate in the divine nature. What does it mean to participate in the divine nature? Well, if you read scripture, you know that when you devote your life to Jesus, when you decide to follow Jesus, when you accept his free and incredible gift of grace, God doesn't just leave you there and just be like, okay, check, thanks, you're in. He actually indwells you with his spirit, that his Holy Spirit comes and fills you so that you are no longer now just your own. You are marked with the seal and you are filled with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead so that you, while still living in a world full of sinfulness, while still living in a body that struggles with a sinful nature, you can actually have relationship with God and choose to live with him. What could be more divine and powerful? We read something like we're called to, divine, to participate in the divine nature, and it's easy to think, oh, maybe I'll have like superpowers, or I could fly, or that sounds crazy. That's nothing. You, a sinner, bent on selfishness, myself, the fact that Ryan could go from who he used to be to someone who actually is now part of the spread of the gospel, God's goodness and grace and love to the world, to participate in that is the most divine thing that could have ever happened. And these are his great and precious promises. This Christmas, it was pretty fun. Ava turned two, five days before Christmas. It was pretty fun watching her like, get so excited about Christmas presents. A year ago, she got some Christmas presents, didn't really understand it. I was like, kind of a waste of money. This year, uh, she got Christmas presents. And full disclosure, she got them from her grandparents. And then after that, we kind of felt bad. We're like, maybe we should have bought her something. So actually, I said December 30th. I think we gave her something last week as her Christmas present. But anyways, um, super cute. She's just so excited. All these Christmas presents. She can't read, so the name tags don't mean anything. So she thinks they're all for her. So it's a world of disappointment when she realizes she has like, there are other grandkids she's competing with. But she, she opens a present, and it's, it's cute. Like, she's just so stoked. She opens it. She's so pumped, and she's just like, oh, yes, this is the best. So excited about this present. But then pretty quickly, she moves on to the next one, right? She's like, oh, where's my next present? Or goes and tries to steal one from another grandkid. Be like, I want this too. And she, it's cute. I'm kind of concerned. I don't want her to become spoiled. And um, as you can see, she won't be on account of us. It'll be grandparents. But um, I don't want her to... <laughs> The more we begin to expect the presence, the more we can neglect what's actually provided for us. When we had Avra, 
we didn't say, okay, great. Now we can buy her Christmas presents and birthday presents. Oh, also, maybe we should feed her. We committed as parents to provide for her needs. First and foremost, to tell her about Jesus and his incredible love, but to feed her, to give her shelter, to love her. Along the way out of that, if we give her some gifts and presents, cool. If my parents or Talisley's parents give her some presents, cool. If you guys want to give her or us presents, great. That's awesome. Um, I'll give you a list. But um, it's fine. But it's so easy for her as a child to look at that. And that's so often what we do is we look at the gifts. Because sometimes God does show up and give us those little gifts, those those presents, those things in life where we just, it's so good and we have so much to be thankful for that we neglect we look for the, prom- the presence and we neglect the needs that he's met. The fact that through the gospel, God has met every need and we just look for the present. We look, we live in the moment. Well, what about now? What do I, what do I want right now? What do I want? And this, this passage, it talks about meeting our needs. I mean, how, how funny of a term is needs in 21st century North America and Western Canada, right? When do we think in needs? We don't have a lot of conversations around meeting our needs. I mean, our needs are like back here, and we are, 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 from there, our needs are kind of like, well, how big should my entertainment or travel budget be, or, you know, what should I want, and stuff like that. That's fine. We can enjoy some stuff, but we get so focused on the presence and the peripherals of what we wish that God would have promised us and what we wish God would provide. God, why don't you just do this? God, why aren't you doing that? Why did you do that? God, and, and we get distracted from the fact that God has already given us everything that we need. So my question this morning is, Is the gospel enough? Or are you uncertain about the clarity of God's promises because the gospel isn't enough and you're just looking for him to show up in other ways that he never even, there's no, he's never guaranteed he would. He does sometimes, but he promised this thing called the gospel. Is that enough for us? We just sang the song, my chains are gone, I've been set free. Is that enough? If not, then yeah, we get distracted by the presence. So God has promised, God's promises are wrapped up in the gospel. He's promised this. What a great and glorious promise. So then what does that call us to? I'm so glad you asked, starting in verse five. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. I love this. If you have these qualities in increasing measure, not, Peter doesn't say, well, if you've already like, if you've already like made it, you've got these qualities, you're good to go, you're already loving, you're already knowledgeable. No, if you have these in increasing measure, One thing we always have to remember is that this invitation into God's promises, this spiritual journey that we're on, is not a destination. It's a journey. We always are continuing to grow in the grace and the goodness of the gospel. That's why at FBC, our mission statement is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope you never view a checklist like this or a list like this as a checklist. I hope you're not just like, yep, I'm super loving. I'm like so smart. I'm knowledgeable. Oh, I've got all the self-control in the world. Say, you'll see things on this that you're like, man, this is something I'm not so great at. This is something I'm great at. What can I do in both of these? Possess these in increasing measure. Because if not, what does Peter say? He says, if you don't have these in increasing measure, you're ineffective and unproductive. When Jesus offered you grace 
through his sacrifice on the cross and you accepted it and you became a follower of him, the reason he didn't just take you away is so that because you're on mission here. You are called to something bigger than yourselves. That God's promises don't just happen to you, but there's something that happened that you can engage with. You can be on mission for the gospel. And that's certainly not something we want to be ineffective and unproductive with. We are, we are called to live this promise of the gospel out to the world around us, to continue to work it out in our lives and to see, let people see it through us. He says, whoever does not have them, whoever does not have these qualities is nearsighted and blind. Certainly don't have 20-20 vision, right? We don't want to be nearsighted. And that what happens when we do that is we forget, as he continues on, that we've been cleansed from our past sins. Talking about sin a lot this morning, it's not to like beat us down, but the more we realize the, the disparity, the, the depravity of our state without Jesus Christ, the more we realize how great and glorious his promises are. One of the reasons sometimes we don't understand how big God's promises are, how clear and sure they are, is because we neglect the fact that what he's done in our lives through the gospel is so great. We were broken sinners, completely hopeless and lost. And God changed all of that. Do you forget that? That God did such an incredible act in your life? When you're praying for the things that you think you want today, do you remember, man, God, thank you so much that through the gospel, you transformed my life. You bought me back. You redeemed me to be your son, to be your daughter. And that daily, as you continue to struggle that that is what the gospel does, that is what grace does, is that it continues to cleanse you from your sins and heal that brokenness in your life. So that's how we engage. We grow in these qualities and we remember what the gospel has done and we commit ourselves to engaging with these promises by growing in this list of qualities that Peter talks about. And the results are incredible. Verse 10, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we read that last sentence again. If you do these things, A, you will never stumble and B, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about those two things in a second. I just want to Recap verse 10 for a second there. It's talking about confirming your calling and election. That doesn't mean you work for your salvation, but it means as God's promises, as God's promises take effect in your life, they take effect in your life as you are, you are called to action. You're called to mission. You're called to something bigger than yourself by, uh, by engaging with these promises. When Jesus Christ came and died for us, when Jesus Christ came and embodied the gospel for us, these characteristics of faith, goodness, love, mutual affection, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, those were embodied in the gospel, in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And now he hands those over to us and says, this is the effect of my promise. You can live these out. Confirm your calling and election by doing so. So he says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. We'll come back to that. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It, we, we are so small picture, right? Like we just, what do I want today? What's going on today? What's, what's my immediate need? Who's sick? What am I struggling with? What am I happy about? you know, our feelings and our emotions and what we want, our luxuries, our comfort, our prosperity, that's, we just have that right in front of us. We are nearsighted. God is this big picture thinker. He's got your whole life and your whole eternity in view. He's playing the long game. And he says, I am preparing for you a rich and glorious welcome into eternity free from sin, free from suffering, free from sickness, free from death, free from all the things that you struggle with. And this is what he promises us through the gospel. That our lives now, as said in the first section, can be freed from 
from the struggles that we have with evil, but in eternity, we can step into something glorious. He has given us everything we need. Like I said, when Avril was born, I mean, our, our baseline commitment was to take care of her needs. That, that is the f- most important and fundamental thing. At Christmas, she can run around looking under the tree for presents, and it, it's kind of cute and stuff like that. Might make it old when she's older and wants like a car and stuff that actually costs money, but she could run around and be so stoked about that. As parents, we're putting food on the table. Well, to be fair, Talcy quit her job, so I'm putting food on the table, okay? I'm just kidding. It's actually kind of an ironic joke because if I was the one putting the food on the table, it would only be craft dinner. But um, <laughs> Talcy puts good food on the table. And Avra, if she gets so distracted and so focused on the present, the things, oh, I want this right now. I want this, Melissa and Doug. I want this Lego set. I want this thing, whatever. She can get so focused on that that she never comes to the table to enjoy the delicious meal that Talcy has prepared for her that will meet her needs and actually sustain her and give her energy to enjoy the extras, the presents. She'll starve. I mean, how crazy would that be? She's just so focused. Come eat, Avra, come eat. No, no, presents, presents, presents. And she starves to death. Because she doesn't, she, she neglects that we have met her needs by being focused on her own desires and wants and looking for more out of us than what we've actually promised functionally. My concern is that as Christians living in a North American culture, that that's so often what we do is that we're often spiritually starving because we're just looking for God to do this and do that. We want to do that. And we have a total lack of clarity around his promises because we just dream up what we would hope they would be rather than being content in what he's actually offered. We run around looking for the next present under the tree. We run around looking for the next, this is what I want right now. This is how I'm feeling, God. What have you done for me lately? And God says, I put a delicious meal on the table and I am offering you that for all eternity. I've given you everything you need and I'm preparing a rich and glorious welcome for you. And we miss it and we are malnourished. And we need to slow down and say, God, You have given me enough. I'm not saying that after that you can't be like, hey, P.S. God, I'm going through some stuff. If you could help me navigate that. I'm not saying you can never pray about that stuff, but we're just so... I'm using strong language because I just think we're so 99% here. We need to move over here a little bit more. He says, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. That's a difficult phrase, right? Because we're all like, well, yeah, we screw up. We, we struggle with sin. Tough things happen in life. What does that mean that we'll never stumble? Again, in, it requires us to get out of this moment-to-moment perspective that we have of the temporary and understand that God is this big-picture thinker. Understanding that the struggles and the hardships that you face in life, whether they're because of things other people are doing, things going on in life, maybe even because of your own struggle with sin and selfishness, if met with this list in this middle section where we apply faith and goodness and we're actually participating in the gospel, those can actually be points where we take steps forward in our faith. Some of the hardest moments or seasons in my life, even if they're incurred by myself, are some of the greatest opportunities I have to learn. There are also some of the greatest opportunities I have to stumble and to step back. And in my life, I've taken those moments where I've stumbled and I've let it set me back and I've started to doubt God. But then I've had those moments where it's just like, God, this is so hard. I've messed up. This person's hurt me. This thing's going on. And I trust in his promises wrapped up in the gospel. And it's actually helped me move forward. Some of the greatest growth in my spiritual journey has been in those moments. And this is what's going on here. You don't have to stumble if you commit yourself to these clear and sure promises of the gospel. Because God is, has the big picture in mind. God is playing the long game. Even when we're looking at the short game, he's looking at the long game. And all of this can be to your good 
in, in an eternal perspective. You can continue to grow, in th- grow through these. You don't have to stumble. God's promises are clear. God's promises are sure. It's so easy for us to go around trying to win the lottery. You know, with God, we're just like, oh God, I just wish you would do this. He says, well, check this out. I've done something better than 25 million, approximately, jackpot. I've given you the gospel. I have made your eternity secure. I've met every one of your needs. And so often we say, well, it's just not enough, God. God's promises are clear and sure. And when we lack clarity, when we lack assurance, it's not because God's a moving target. It's because of our own doubt and our own lack of focus. So my invitation this week, I hope you'll spend some time in this passage. My invitation this week is out of God's goodness to spend time focusing on how clear and sure his promises are. Spend some time meditating on how true that is. And as you do, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And last but certainly not least, as you reflect on God's promises, his goodness, all wrapped up in this clear and sure and promise called the gospel, add to all of these things, love. Why don't you guys pray with me? God, you are incredible. And I am sorry for the times that I get so distracted in what I want that I forget that you have met every single one of my needs. You are incredible, and I thank you for your clear and sure promises. I pray that you would help us be a church that seeks you well, that looks at you well, that prays well, focused on what you promise us. And make the gospel come alive in our hearts and our lives, God. Help us be a great representation of your promises to the world around us. We love you, God. Amen. Hey, thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week.